I'm going to ask you to turn to uh, James chapter 1. And we'll read uh, verses 19 uh, through 21. James 1, 19 through 21. James 1, 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Let's pray. Our Lord, we come before your word. We ask for guidance of your spirit. For all who attend, we ask that your word might be written on our hearts and guide and direct us in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. It's been quite some time since we looked into uh, the letter of James, but as a way of reminder, uh, I'd like to just take you back a, f a few verses. You remember he spoke about uh, temptations and God doesn't tempt anyone. Each person is carried away by his own lust. And then there's that hinge verse in uh, verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. It points backwards to the fact that don't be deceived. It's your lust that causes you to sin. And it points forward to verse 17. Every good and every perfect gift comes from God. And then we looked at the, that uh, wonderful verse of God's sovereign saving power. Verse 18. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits uh, of his creation. Uh, and so we, uh, we came to that point, and then there are these commands, and we, we looked already at, at some of them, but he begins by saying, know this. And then he uses that term frequently in James, my beloved brethren. We looked at the scope let every person be, or uh, but everyone must be. You all must be. In our outline, we looked at this under the heading of the universal exhortation. Uh, the universal nature of it is what we just said. Everyone must be. And then under the quick to hear, we looked at it as the controlled reception uh, of God's word. It's controlled because you can do something slowly but you can also do something quickly. Uh, it's, not, it's not talking about a, a person who should be a good listener. It's talking about somebody who should listen to God's word. Uh, James' epistle is organized uh, uh, loosely uh, around these things. Be quick to hear. It goes all the way to the end of chapter 1. Slow to speak, chapter 3, the inter, the first few verses talk about speech slow to anger chapter four starts with why are there all these fightings and fussings it, it, it loosely outlines it and comes back to them a genuine faith will rightly relate to that word rightly relate to god's word we looked at he brought us forth and then we looked at reception under six words reflex it's a natural desire for god's word i'm ready to hear it my ears are ready to hear I rest in it, Psalm 119, I have control, composed tranquil faith, 
I have a response. I hear and keep it. We'll get to that in verse 22. I receive God's word. I take it as truth, as his testimony. And the fourth, the sixth one was that I'm rewarded. So we looked at those. Then we looked at the controlled expression. So first controlled reception and then expression, controlled speech. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but in both of these headings, we looked at the Council of Solomon. What did Solomon say uh, about speech? And uh, we looked at it under uh, the contrast and the immediate and ultimate benefits or consequences of controlled speech and controlled anger. The sample verse that we looked at, Proverbs 13:3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Uh, uh, there, is, uh, there is what you will do. There's the ultimate benefit. There's the immediate benefit. You, you guard your mouth, you preserve your life. But he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. There's the contrast. There's the immediate and ultimate results or consequences. And open your mouth doesn't mean, oh, look, that guy's standing with his mouth open. No, he means open your mouth and start uh, speaking. Then we looked at uh, controlled anger. Once again, the Council of Solomon. The contrast, the ultimate, immediate benefits or consequences. Proverbs 14, 29. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. What, what a contrast. What, what uh, results? I have great understanding if I control my spirit and I'm slow to anger, but if I, if I don't, but what a picture. I exalt folly. Praise folly. Folly is great. No, that's, that's wrong. Uh, the writer Motier puts this in, in, in practical uh, terms. The blunt fact is that our life with God is not something segregated to be stricted to quiet times and insulated from our life with people. I hear God's word, but, but, but where does my anger go out? Where does, where does my speech go out? It goes out to other people. If we do not have an attentive ear, attentive ear in the ordinary circumstances of life, and we do, not be, we do not become different people when we shut the door and open the Bible. We can't separate it. I, in my closet, I have those quiet times. It's not separated from, from being at the store or being out with, with other people. It's correct. In particular, we must use the relationships and situations of the marketplace of life as a training ground for the readiness to hear, a control of speech, and a cautious abhorrence of anger. The great talker is rarely a great listener, and never is the ear more firmly closed than when anger takes over. So that's a, a, a brief review, and I hope it brings you back up to where we were. And the third heading, uh, if you're following headings, is the summary warning and the unrighteous result. If you're not quick to hear, and you're not slow to speak, and not slow to wrath, there is a result. It's just like a proverb in a sense. There's a contrast and a result. The cause of not being slow to anger is to affect unrighteousness and to bring about something that is not righteous. The root cause is to, is, is a failure to follow all the commands. Our primary goal is to hear, and we need to set ourselves as hearers and listeners. Once we stop receiving, 
as Motir said, and we start talking, we run the risk of anger, the water breaks forth and anger starts to gush out. If we further looked into uh, Solomon's wisdom, we would see that anger comes from self-centered pride. Our response to other drivers in, in the car is a response of self-centered pride. He's in my way. He's messing up my schedule. He's uh, foolish. He cut in front of me. The end result, the end result, just like Solomon, James says, it does not achieve. The word used means to work or produce something that brings forth an effect. But here it falls short. It does not achieve a standard or produce a desired or necessary result. And James makes the distinction between men and God. God has one plan, but man works another plan by not hearing, talking too much, and getting angry. And the righteousness of God is not God's imputed righteousness, but it has to do with his character and his requirements. It's a standard that we're commanded to strive for. Peter quotes a, a passage in the Old Testament in 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy uh, for I am holy. The ESV translates this verse in a way that shows the standard that is set for us. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. It works against the righteousness of God. Here's a standard that, that we're supposed to aim for. We're commanded to aim for it. And our anger does not produce what God requires. There's three ways at least, that the anger of man fails to produce it. Uh, the anger of man does not uphold God's righteousness. Uh, the hot-tempered emotional spirit doesn't glorify God. This spirit does not work his purposes in us or in other people. We have to see that. We cannot, as some people do, say, well, that's the Italian blood in me. No, that's this in me. No, you... you Solomon would say, you're a broken down city without walls. You, you've let go to anger and wrath. You've, you've forfeited self-control. That does not uphold God's righteousness. There's a spiritual juxtaposition. Something, something's wrong, isn't it? You, you hear those people, they spew things out, then they find out that you're a Christian. Oh, I go to church too. And you would say, I would never... I would never understand by this man's anger or this person's anger in their speech that, that, they, that they have concern about it at all. The anger of man does not produce internal righteousness either. It contradicts being receptive hearers. It contradicts to be uh, uh, those who are supposed to be humble. It testifies against us and tells others something's wrong in the heart. It doesn't work internal righteousness either. It says, I don't have self-control. You show anger and wrath and someone comes to you and says, uh, brother, you must have a bitter, bitter spirit or you're not content because you always seem to be angry. Uh, they challenge you because it doesn't work internal. It's showing that something's wrong uh, in internal. 
the anger of man finally does not produce external righteousness. Once the hearing stops and the wrong kind of speaking starts, uh, we learn that anger is not far behind. Man's anger does not produce a viewable testimony of God's righteousness. It produces something that unbelieving worldlings are capable of having temper tantrums when things don't go their way. Externally, you don't demonstrate to the world that you are a child of light. So then our next point is two antidotes to anger and unrighteousness. They are found in the words, put away and receive with meekness. James uses the word, therefore. He says, since anger does not work the righteousness of God, there are several things which we must do. And he, he's going to drill down into it. These commands relate to the internal and external righteousness that we just looked at. First of all, put away. Remove sin from your life. Uh, the words often used of speaking of something that's, that's put off and taken off. Three examples in the scripture, Romans 13, 12. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. All these passages are active. Know this, my beloved brethren, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, but you've got to put off these things. Colossians 3.8, one of the most practical chapters. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Paul covers two of them. Anger and abusive speech. Get rid of that stuff. Put it off. Take it off. Take it away. Ephesians 4, 25. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one with his neighbor, for we're members uh, of one another. There's a sinful behavior that is to be put off. Uh, it's very interesting. I think the King James has a superfluity of naughtiness, and we do not use the word naughtiness that way. If we say you're naughty, it doesn't carry the weight that they meant back in 1611. But the, there's a, the New King James says overflow of wickedness. And uh, another version says all that remains of wickedness. You've got to put it off. The, the question that I would ask you, are you walking around with your pajamas on? You, you would say, pajamas? I don't walk around with my pajamas, but that's the idea. You've got the wrong clothes. You're, you're walking around in the wrong clothes. I remember when the girls were young, you'd say, let's go to the mall. Oh, we're going to the mall with dad. You'd be in the car in five minutes. Well, they got a little older and you'd say, let's go to the mall. And it would take them a half an hour. <laughs> and their hair was all combed and everything. What's taking you so long? We're only going to the wall, to the mall. Dad, somebody might see us. Somebody might see you. Who, who cares what two girls walking? But they did. But they did. But that's the point. What are you wearing? What do you have on? What are you putting on? And what are you taking off? 
Are you walking around with your pajamas? Are you not ready to go to the mall? Are you not ready to be out in front of people and be a testimony of Christian behavior? Put it off, James says. Because look at those words. It's like bubbling over superfluity. I don't know what that means, but it sounds like it means a lot. It does. He uses those graphic words. And then he says, what you're putting away is filthiness. Filth. It's squalor. It's moral pollution. It's dirty. A man comes into their assembly in chapter 2, verse 2. A man in dirty clothes. They say, who's this guy with the dirty clothes? The other guy comes in. He's got a fancy ring and a robe on. They say, well, that's the guy I want to hook up with. And they treat him differently. Peter says it's, it's not like a removal of dirt from the body. Baptism is not like a removal of dirt from the body. But that's what James is saying. Put off filthiness, moral filthiness. Revelation 22, 11. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is filthy still be filthy. This is judgment. This is judgment when God says, okay, stay in your... Th Stay in this situation that you're in. Stay in your filth. Let the one who's filthy still be filthy, and let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. That's the idea. Get it off. And then he says the overflowing of wickedness. The ESV says rampant wickedness. You can see wickedness running all over the place. You spend, you spend time in your home, you could see wickedness pops up all over the place, isn't it? What, what's going on here? I woke up, I felt like I was in fine, now we're having an argument. Where did that come from? What's going on here? Why is there tension? Why is this? Why is that? I'm not trying to present the wrong picture. But it's rampant wickedness. It just seems to come from everywhere. If you know your heart and you know your mind, you, you sometimes have to say, how can these filthy thoughts come from my brain? How can these things come? Why do I think about these things? I'm supposed to be different. I'm supposed to be thinking about other things. And I can't seem to carry my mind and rein it back in and say, stop thinking about those things. Amen. It overflows. It, it, it's rampant. It pushes, its, pushes itself up. It, it means malice, malignity, or, or depravity, this wickedness. We see that idea when sin just seems to spill out. And here's the second thing we need to do. First of all, put off. Second of all, receive with humility or meekness. He says, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. The first thing it talks about is the posture of reception of the word. In humility uh, comes first in the Greek. Other translations might smooth it out. But it means meekness, humility, or gentleness. Blessed are the meek. Peter talks about a woman who has a, a meek and quiet spirit. It's something that's identifiable. It's something that you can see that the woman's spirit causes this kind of behavior. James says in chapter 3, verse 13, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds 
in the gentleness or the meekness of wisdom. Uh, wisdom <clears throat> is wise, according to Solomon, isn't it? Controlled reception and then controlled expression. Controlled expression of speech, controlled expression of anger. That's the wisdom that's wise. The wisdom that's wise, James says, is the wisdom that's meek. It says, well, I'm not going to talk about my rights. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to respond to that person the way they spoke to me. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be uh, humble about it. Peter says, sanctify Christ Jesus as Lord in your hearts. Always ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. You can't do it if you're all messed up inside. And he says, yet with gentleness and reverence. You talk to people as if they were. you wanted them to talk to you that way. The, the posture corresponds with being quick to hear. It's a posture that, that, that fits when we, we hear the word of truth. How glorious is God's word? How, how filled with splendor and majesty is it? And, and we get to listen to it. it. It should humble us all the time. We've talked before about being Psalm 119 people. All the things he says about God's laws and commands, it should humble us. Uh, it's also noted here that this is a, a command. Uh, and then there's an object. It's an inter interesting object. It talks about its destination or its proper place. Uh, receive with meekness uh, the implanted word. The word is used only here in the New Testament. In our introduction to James, we talked about that. There's 23 words or something like that in the first chapter alone that aren't used anyplace else in the New Testament. And here's one of them. The implanted word. It's used outside of the New Testament, and it means implanted by nature, something that belongs uh, implanted. Uh, James describes God's word here in, in a unique but powerful way. It's implanted or grafted onto the soul of man. It's, a, it's something that wasn't part of man before. But we were brought forth by the word of truth. And that was the word that was implanted in the believer. It also means that the word has to uh, go into our hearts. Uh, the grafting of a tree or a skin graft is something uh, from one and placing it into another. Uh, it was implanted in us and in salvation, you might say, verse 18. It becomes part of me. I listen to God with meekness so that his word can go where it's supposed to be, implanted in me, embedded in me. What makes you tick? Well, I've got God's word embedded in me. I can't act a different way. What makes you tick? Well, when I go to church and I hear God's word, I, I humbly try to listen to it so that it works down in there. You see, that's the idea. It becomes part of me. Part of, the, part of the new covenant is God will write it on their hearts. He'll be their God. They'll be my people. But part of it is to, is to put the word there. But then notice the power of the implanted word. It is able to save your souls. That's power, isn't it? I should be humbled. How was I brought forth? He brought you forth by the what? The word of truth. That's what I heard. 
I was living a life of falsehood and sin, and the word came, and, and God used it and brought me forth, made me a Christian by his word. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free, the man said from the pulpit, and I could not get away from that verse for days because the, the verse was meant for me that day. The verse was meant for me. And I remembered growing up that God said, you'll know that the, Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And God said either everything I've said is true or it's not. And you've got to start living in one of those things because the truth is the only thing that's going to make you free. And bless God, days later I was free. But it talks about the innate ability or the innate nature of the word. That's what the word does. It can't help it but do anything else. Hebrews chapter 4, where does it go? It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Where does it go? It pierces all the way. He gives you, he gives you a, 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 an interesting picture, doesn't it? Right through the bone into the marrow. You can't hide from God's word. That's the point. It's quick and it's active and that's where it pierces. And what does it do? It, it discerns the intents. It discerns our hearts. It goes right there. That's, that's what it is. And then... It has continued ability. I was brought forth by the word of truth, but how do I progress? It's implanted and I need it. That's what James is talking. That's who James is talking to Christians. I always need the powerful word that's able to save my souls. I always need it. Oh, you say, well, well, I thought you were older. You're closer to heaven than some other people. No, I need it to the last day. I need it to the last breath. It doesn't matter. It's the continued ability of it. It's the ultimate power of it. It is able. It's able to save your soul. We all understand eschatology. Oh, the end times. But we have to understand we have a personal eschatology. Do you know when the Lord's going to return? Oh, no, no, no. That's hidden kind of. That's mysterious. I have some ideas what the Bible says. Do you know when you're going to die? Mm -hmm. Well, no, that's just, like the, that's just like the eschatology in the scripture. I don't know. God knows it's appointed. But that's, that's our personal eschatology. How should I act if Christ's return is imminent? I should act a certain way. How should I act if my demise is imminent? If my death is imminent, you, you know, you're only going to be here 36 more hours. A, a sudden thing is going to take you away. People will say, well, they were so healthy up to that point. I, 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 just, I just heard a testimony of that, that the other day. There really was nothing wrong with my mother. And then this happened and that happened and she died rather suddenly. We have a personal eschatology. We need the word that's able to save our souls. It has an innate nature of doing that. It has a continued ability uh, uh, to do that. The place for the word, the fifth uh, point under this, the place for the word is your soul. Uh, there's, there's nothing of more of value or importance than your soul. We'll talk about it in the application. It's the core of our life and being because it's our eternal uh, soul. 
remember David in Psalm 63, we studied it recently, three times he talks about his soul in a short psalm. My soul, my soul, my soul. It's soul-centered. God's word goes to the soul. I could have a tattoo. I could have a what would Jesus do bracelet. That doesn't do it. It's got to be in your heart. It's got to be in your soul. Matthew Henry says, in all our hearing, we should aim at the salvation of our souls. How come I'm here? My soul needs to be saved. I have to listen in order to save my own soul. That's important. That's right. It is the design of the word of God to make us wise to salvation. If I talk to the young people, there's only five young people I can talk to. But that's what the word is designed to do in your life. It's designed to save your soul. Paul tells Timothy, your grandmother believed, your mother believed, they taught you, and the scripture is, to, is able to make you wise to salvation. What's going to happen with my soul? This is the application. Your soul is never, ever going to die. That's pretty important. I need to know. It is the design of the word of God to make us wise to salvation. And those who propose a meaner or lower ends to themselves in attending upon it dishonor the gospel and disappoint their souls. Would you ever disappoint yourself? Well, we do, don't we? We, we disappoint ourselves. But think about what he's saying. You bring dishonor to the gospel and you disappoint your soul. Your soul, is, your soul maybe is reaching out. The, the preacher is saying, you need to listen to this, and you're not listening. You are disappointing your soul. You're, tell, you're saying it's not really that important. Well, it, it is very important. So as we come to applications, the question is, how did we get here? Verse 18, not physically, but spiritually. Where do we come from? Are we convinced that we were brought forth by the will of God. But let's not have that to be arrested development. Oh, I'm saved. Oh, I'm saved. Maybe we can say I'm only a sinner saved by grace. But, but what about now? Do you know where you came from? Do you know where you're going to? What are we doing uh, with God's word? Are we actively hearing with purpose. We've talked about it before. We should hear uh, with intent. One of the examples that we can follow is David's, exa David's example. Your word I have hidden in my heart that what? I might not sin against you. Well, it's just a reversal of James, isn't it? James says, put away sin and receive with meekness, David says, I'm going to hide it there so I don't sin. There's protection, isn't it? The, the legacy standard says, treasured in my heart. The ESV says, stored up your word. You see, it's God's word. It's not David's ideas. He doesn't say, I've got all these ideas about life. That's how I'm going to live. He says, no, your word is in my heart. 
it's important that he understands that I might not sin because James understands the same thing. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. What comes out? Filthiness and rampant wickedness. People think, well, I wish my life would go better. <laughs> You've got to hide God's word in your heart. The reason that sin is coming out and there's overflowing wickedness is that you're not doing that maybe. And you're just like everybody else. You're a sinner just like everybody else. It's no big deal. You're just like everybody else. Billions of people went through the same struggles that you go through every day in your sin. And the, and the, and the response, the answer is only in God's word. It's not in, oh, I, I got to go to my counselor again. I know people like that. My counselor said, no, no, no. God's word said. God's word said. David said, your word have I hidden in my heart. He's talking to God. He says, I'm hiding your word in my heart. And we all can do that. We could say, God, maybe I haven't done it enough. Maybe I should do it more. But your word I want to hide in my heart. It's not David's ideas. And it's not man's thoughts. Secondly, where does it go? He's hidden, he's treasured, and he's stored it up. They're active words. He, he's piling it up. Now, hiding is an interesting thing, but it's not hidden so that he can't find it. You get the idea. Your word, if I hidden my heart, and then it's not like, well, where's God's word? I don't know where it is. No, he's storing it up. He's keeping it for use. He's keeping it for use. His his soul gets agitated. He's ready to be mad. And, and, and God's word comes up and saves him from sinning. Yeah. He, he's, he's, he's sitting and listening. And, and he, he's, he's not really paying attention. And, and then he realizes, no, the, the word's able to save my soul. I've got I've to stir myself up to listen. Mm -hmm. it's, it's influence. God's influence in David's heart is ready to use. It's ready to use. They, they advertise so many things like that. Ready in 10 minutes. Ready in 5 minutes. This is ready to use. Oh, good, good. That's good. Ready to use is good. Ready to use God's word is good. It's able to save your souls. That's the idea. But look at his purposes. He's not just saying, I memorize more verses in Sunday school than anybody else. Great. But what was his purpose? That I might not sin against you. I'm praying to you to hide your word because the only person I'm going to offend is God Almighty if I start sinning. Right. That's, that's the only person that I'm going to offend. There's some, there's some advice from Manton. You may have recognized that I don't know where my notes are. He talks about our reception as well. And Manton is, Manton is good. Some things to help us to think about uh, David. Manton says, of all sinners, God takes the meek sinner as his scholar. Think about that. Who's the most scholarly sinner? The meek. And God says, you're meek. I could teach you something. You're proud. Class is over. You already know everything. 
Manton says there must be insection before incision, meekness before engrafting. And it, it was supposed to go with those other words. But Manton says you got to cut open before you open that up and put the graft in there. And that's an amazing thing, isn't it? That they can take two different trees or two different things, cut them open, and the one becomes the other. But that's what the word, that's where the word's got to go. This, uh, this uses a, an, old, an older word, but he says it is good to get a tractable frame. It is good, right? It's right, it's profitable to get, to acquire a tractable frame. It means easily handled or managed, something that's capable of being uh, led or taught or controlled, a, a tractable frame. And you know from Psalm 103:14, God knows our what? He knows our frame. It's the whole, it's the whole piece of us. It's good to get a tractable frame. If you, if you were going to, uh, if you were going to uh, mold something out of clay, you cannot use clay that's all dried out. Clay to be used has to be tractable. You have to be able to mold it and shape it. And Manton says, it's good to get a tractable frame. God, give me a tractable frame. I want to get a tractable frame. Acts 10, 33, Cornelius and all the people said, we are all present to hear your word. They said the confidence that you can have traveling to see us is we're all present here to hear your word. It's good to get a tractable frame, easily handled and managed. My whole person, my frame that God knows. So we see the cycle of reception. We put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. We put away sin to receive the word and we put the word in our heart to keep us from sin. Two, two things. And it's all a protection package for our eternal soul. That's what's at stake. Nothing else is at stake. What's at stake if you don't listen? Your soul. The body, temporary. One day, be able to go to a place, there'll be some dates on it, here lies Art Mink, done. Oh, I remember him. Maybe you won't. The body will be buried, but your soul will always be aware of itself and its surroundings. Can you imagine that? You will always be aware of yourself and your surroundings, whether ultimately in heaven or hell. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the guy was ultimately aware of himself and his surroundings because we have souls that never, ever die. Don't disappoint. Don't disappoint your soul. Oh, I really don't want to listen. Your soul one day will condemn you then. If you're in hell, part of your awareness will be, I didn't listen to God's word. I didn't listen, and now I'm in hell. I will suffer, and I'll never, ever be able to turn it off. The, the guy who was in hell, what was the remedy? What was the remedy? 
a drop of water? Is that possible? Is that possible to take away the, the torments of hell with a drop of water on somebody's finger? No, because his conscience will scream for eternity. It is able to save your soul. Three things and then we'll be done. Don't let anyone take your eternal soul from you. The Bible says that by empty philosophy or science, your soul can be taken away. You've heard us relate. Jean had daycare. We taught those children Bible verses. We taught those children the catechism. The one day the six-year-old came back. She said, my uncle or somebody told me that when you die, that's it. You're just buried. There's nothing else. They fed her with lies. Don't let anyone take your soul from you. Don't let science take your soul from you. I heard recently one philosopher basically said, we're just pieces of meat that walk around because that's the, the only answer that they have. If the universe was created by chaos, if it was created by random chance, then we really are nothing. And that's a lie. Don't let science take your soul. Don't let false teaching take your soul. False teaching that short, falls short of the truth. False teaching that deceives you into another way of salvation. Well, let's you believe in Jesus, but let's add circumcision. Let's add all these laws. And Paul says, you might as well throw it out then. Because you can't put one thing on top of the other. Anything Christ plus is the cross minus, and that's damnable. And sinful behavior. Don't let sinful behavior take your eternal soul. Paul, uh, uh, Solomon uses the, the woman who, who tempts the, the, the adulterous woman in Proverbs. He says, you go into her house, where do her steps go? They go down to Sheol, they go down to hell. People that go in there never come out, he says. Don't let a person, don't let sinful behavior. Oh, oh but she was right there and she was looking so good and this and that and this. No! You've got to hide your word in, the, in your heart and remember, inside her house someplace, there's a stairway right to hell itself. Don't let anyone take your soul. Don't give up your soul. Jesus says, you can gain the whole world but lose your own soul. That man in hell was satisfied and happy his whole life. What, did it, what does it say? He dined sumptuously Every day. I'll have some more caviar, Jeeves. I'll have some steak today. I think I'll have lobster and shrimp today. I think I'll have this today. Hamilton, would you warm up the BMW? Get me this. I'd like to wear my dinner jacket today. Go and do this. And he's in hell asking for a drop of water to be put on his tongue. Don't give up your soul. You can't gain the world or anything in it. Otherwise, you lose your own soul. And finally, trust Jesus with the care of your soul. The, the first hymn, right? Down by the cross. That's where you got to go. You've got to go to the cross of Christ. You've got to say, if my soul is eternal, 
I don't want to have those thoughts in my mind for eternity. I want to have Christ in my mind for eternity. I won't cry anymore. I won't be sick anymore. I'll live in glory. It'll just be splendor that I never, ever could even conceive or torment that I could never conceive. Why did he come to save souls? Why did he die to save souls? What was his purpose in all his life to save souls? What does he promise to protect, bring to safety and care for souls? He ever lives now to make intercession for us because he's able to save to the uttermost anybody who draws near to him. Jesus, I need your help. I want to listen to the word the right way. I want to hide it in my heart the right way. I don't want to fail in this because I will fail in the concerns of my soul. You can fail in anything else. Oh, I started this business and it was going good. And then the economy changed. COVID-19 changed everything and I lost my business. Okay, fine. A lot of people have lost their business. But, but don't. Don't go on the broad road to destruction. Jesus knew it. People talk to Christians. And I've heard it. People say, well, you know, there's a lot of people that don't believe what you do. Uh, yeah, and Jesus said there would be. It's no news to me. It's no news to me that billions of people don't believe what I believe. It's no news to anybody that people don't believe the Bible. It's no news that they hated Christ. He knew it and predicted it and prophesied it. How big is the gate that leads to life? Small. So if somebody says, oh, there's only a few people that believe like you, that's right. And there's billions of people that believe like you. There's billions of people on the way. The road to destruction is what? It's wise. Wide. It's wide and easy. It's easy to travel there. Everybody, everybody's on this road. How come you're on that narrow path over there? What are you doing? Don't you know we have highways now? Yeah, but it's a broad road that leads to destruction. Right. Trust Jesus with the care of your soul. Let's pray. Our merciful Father, we do ask again you'd write these things on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.